I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock, and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. holy imagination is important because it lays the foundation for all of the rest of the stories. So hang in there, but relax. Picture yourself sitting on a front porch or by crackling fire or walking through a field. And if it helps, close your eyes so you can see. Welcome to Holy Imagination. I started walking the Camino de Santiago, my prayers sounded like I was preparing for a Miss America pageant. God, I want to help feed the hungry children. I want to help save the environment, improve education, cure disease, and, and world peace, and on and on. Upon my actual departure, it got real, real fast. God, can I do this alone? Will my body hold up? Once out on the trail, things got extremely simple and entirely practical. I hope I have enough water. Please don't let that spot on my toe become a blister. I am so hungry, I'm about to eat my shoe. And then, and I can't say exactly when this started, but I realized there wasn't much praying or thinking going on at all just walking, just putting one foot in front of the other, which is actually when the magic of holy imagination began. Now it's been five days since I took the first steps of my pilgrimage out of St. Jean Pideport, and I've walked over 75 miles. I have stopped for the night at an albergue, one of the many hostels dotting the Camino. A small group of pilgrims is gathered around a bonfire in the backyard we are fed, bathed, and relaxing now in this courtyard under this starry sky. We share the very unique fellowship of tired pilgrims, telling stories in a way that only a long day of walking, a shared experience, and a crackling fire can inspire. My story is the last one for the night. I choose to tell one of my favorites, and I encourage my fellow pilgrims to close their eyes and imagine it, because sometimes when we close our eyes, we can see better. It is a folk tale about three esteemed people from the same village. All were considered very wise. The first had an exceptional ability to retain information. The second had read more books than could be counted. And the third was known to wander the village talking with all kinds of people. The townspeople began to ask, who is the wisest of all? So they asked the chief for a test to determine which of the three was indeed the wisest. The chief said to follow a certain path into the country and they would soon discover the test. The three set off. Soon enough, they came upon a tiger that had just died. The three gathered around. The suggestion was made that whoever could bring the tiger back to life had to be the wisest. 
without pause the first and second set to work, but the third counseled that they would be wise to choose a different task, but to no avail. As the two worked even more feverishly, competing to be the first to bring the tiger back to life, the third climbed a tree nearby. The moment of truth did indeed show who was the wisest. They were successful in bringing the tiger to life, only to realize too late that they would also be its first meal. The third watched helplessly from the tr tree as the now satisfied and very alive tiger stalked out onto the plain. Then she climbed down and returned to the village, the wisest of all. I pause here to let everyone come back from that faraway village and back to the fireside along the Camino. And then I conclude with what I think playfully captures the moral of the story. I say dramatically, because after all, my friends, it's true that you are smart if you know that a tomato is a fruit, but you are wise to know not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. There are a few ahas, some smiles and one thumbs up, but that's it because we are all exhausted and have run out of energy to chit chat. In this sacred silence, I watch the fire flare up and send a prayer on the rising smoke for wisdom. I sink a little deeper into my chair, close my eyes, and reflect on my pilgrimage so far. I can feel all of the walking that I've done, all of the miles, all of the moments. I feel it in my body, but I feel it in my mind, too. The Camino de Santiago has wound for miles through small towns and through open country and farms. Many of the fields I pass through don't seem to have crops actively growing. I'm guessing they are lying fallow. Fallow might not be a word you use much. It's not a word most of us modern folk use because honestly, it is not a concept we are familiar with. Technically, fallow means not being used. It's a farming term that refers to fields that are resting. We might look at that same field and say, it's empty, or even, it's not useful. But fallow points to a meaning much richer than that. And I connect this with my own brain because it is these long stretches walking through these fallow fields that has begun to have a similar effect on me. Today, I noticed that it was difficult to finish a thought even a simple math problem. That felt kind of alarming until I remembered something. Usually in our fast-paced, attention-demanding culture, our brainwaves really do resemble waves on a stormy sea. But when we engage in sustained exertion, like a pilgrimage, our brainwaves literally begin settling down and flattening out. In fact, it was exactly by walking the Camino that all of the rational, logical, problem-solving, demanding parts of my brain were put under the spell of the Camino de Santiago and became more like still water. It wasn't that my brain was becoming empty. It was just beginning to rest, to lay fallow. A field lying fallow is unused, which we might interpret as useless, but it is actually growing in its usefulness because in its resting, it is gathering nutrients and strength for when a crop is planted there. And as I had little control over what was happening in my brain, that became my prayer for me as well. 
The best way to describe it was that part of me was deciding to take a load off, to take a break on a virtual front porch somewhere, to sit in one of the rocking chairs, sip lemonade, watch the wind blow, and wait. I had planned to solve my problems and possibly the world's too as I walked along the Camino. But instead, the longer I did walk, the more I realized that I simply wasn't able to. And that perhaps that wasn't even the point. I didn't really have a choice. It was like the Camino was singing a lullaby to my brain and it settled down, not empty, just resting. And here's where the magic began, because it's only once you're settled in on that porch and are content to wait that you just might find that a neighbor you haven't seen for a while pays you a very important visit. I had to walk enough miles to get here, to stop fighting, stop resisting this process of my brain becoming quiet and still, because at first it felt like I was losing something. It took this pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago to usher me into this strange new category of being where, rather than empty, I was more like those fields lying fallow, waiting. And that's when, sure enough, here came my neighbor, who sat down with me and introduced herself as holy imagination, and we began to tell some of the best stories. Einstein said, Imagination is more important than knowledge. Why would one of the smartest people who has ever lived say something like that? Because he was wise. At least he was wise enough to know that we can't boil life down to what we know about it. I think he was aware that reality cannot be contained in rationality, that life is much more mysterious and dynamic than the isolated snapshots that we have been able to make to take of it. This is a challenge for all of us information-based, left-brained products of the long-reinforced principles and overweighted values of the Enlightenment. We've been taught that in order for something to be real, it must be explainable, observable, quantifiable, or definable. But there is something far richer and more magnificent happening in our universe than what can be held in our brains. It's richer, more magnificent, and also super essential, for example, like when we are contemplating bringing tigers back to life. Because the thing is, and am I wrong? Life just doesn't always show up in rational categories. Life doesn't always fit into neatly wrapped packages. Try as I might, I can't fit an elephant in a shoebox, nor measure humidity with a ruler, nor understand poetry using a recipe for cookies. Similarly, there are parts of experience that I can't fit in a practical box or measure with rationality or explain logically. Like tomato and a fruit salad, some things aren't meant to be used together like that. And if I tried to, let's say, keep using a cucumber cucumber to hammer in a nail or water to put out grease fires, I sure hope I will learn and quickly that it just doesn't work that way. Otherwise, I'm just being foolish by continuing to try to fit round pegs through square holes. We damage the roundish parts of experience if we try to force them through the squarish confines of rationality. If I keep trying to say play has to be logical or trying to parse out a dream into bullet points, I'm missing the point. 
and won't be able to hear the whole story, know the whole truth. Because truth is a lot more than just the facts. Imagination works with the facts, but does not limit life to them. Operating in the realm of imagination frees life to be what it is, alive. It doesn't require experience to be rational, nor does it derail even when things don't make sense, nor deny the value of something simply because it can't be logically explained. Imagination invites us out of the tyranny of the rational. It allows for these more mysterious and magnificent parts of life to unfold. By allowing experience a playing field larger than our brain, we open ourselves back up to the serious business of play and welcome the power of wonder. We remember that wisdom is much more than knowledge and that truth is much richer than just the facts. That sometimes our deepest longing isn't to see what technically is happening, but what could happen. And that sometimes we have to close our eyes so we can see. Along the Camino, I began to ask God to grow my imagination, but not just to grow it. I'm asking for God to be the grower of it, because I don't just want to imagine whatever I want to see. I want to see things more like God does. I don't need it to fit into my truth. I need it to be in line with the truth. So now I land on some very serious prayer, not just for imagination, but for something much more powerful. I'm asking for holy imagination, imagination rooted in and directed by God. And this is much more powerful because it's not just me trying to create out of my own limited toolbox. This is inviting God to be who he is, the creator. Inviting God to bring what he knows could be to bear on what I know. God's wisdom working within me so I can see better what he sees. I am brought back to that fireside in northern Spain by someone snoring. Back to that fireside where my thoughts have wandered just like the smoke into the beautiful starry night. I watch as wisps of smoke rise and bend the night sky, reminding me that we live in a much more mysterious and meaningful world than we typically are aware of, and often beyond what we can truly, fully comprehend, yet not always beyond what we can imagine. Close your eyes so you can see. This path, lit by golden arrows and adorned with scallop shells, that winds its way across the entirety of northern Spain. Close your eyes so you can see the footprints of thousands of people over hundreds of years making the way of a pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago, putting one foot in front of the other. Close your eyes so you can see yourself as a pilgrim walking west in this thin place where heaven and earth come very close and keep walking till you can imagine what could be.